good afternoon. <clears throat> You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is May 10th, 133 of the year. 235 days remaining until the year is over with. You all have asked for me to enumerate the holidays and for every date that I do a show. Well, today is National Receptionist Day, National Shrimp Day, and if you got a very short receptionist, that doesn't mean she's a shrimp. Donate a day's wages to Charity Day. I don't know anybody who does that. The National Day of Argania, Micronesia Constitution Day, Mother Ocean Day, Mother's Day in Mexico, as I was saying, Mother's Day in Mexico, National Clean Your Room Day, National Golf Day, National Lipid Day, National Night Shift Workers Day, National School Nurse Day, National Ship Via Rail Day, National Small Business Day, National Third Shift Workers Day, National Washington Day, they call it the Evergreen State. Right now, with all the rioting and confusion going on, it's uh, almost a burned-out state. Occupational Safety and Health Professional Day. One day without shoes. Supposed to take off your shoes and walk about barefoot today. Root Canal Appreciation Day. Having had one, I do not appreciate it. Trust Your Intuition Day. World Facilities Management Day. Uh, World Lupus Day. World Orienteering Day. Grab your watches, your maps, and your sandwiches and head out. Alrighty. For those that are not familiar, uh, England has a new king, officially. Alright. In 20 BC, a sunspot is observed by the Han Dynasty astronomers during the reign of Emperor Qing of the Han, one of the earliest dated sunspots observations in China, and they got records that go back forever. 1291, Scottish nobles recognized the authority of Edward I of England, pending the selection of their own king. 1294, Timur, Khagan of the Mongols, is enthroned as the emperor of the Yan dynasty. 1497, Amerigo Vespucci allegedly leaves Cadiz on his first voyage to the New World. He managed to get a continent named after him. 1591, Christopher Columbus visits the Cayman Islands and names them Las Tortugas after the numerous turtles he found there. What if there were any banks open when he got there? That is a country known for its banks. My favorite one was the bank that was over the cigar store. 1534, Jacques Cartier visits Newfoundland. 1688, King Narai nominates uh, Petracha as regent, leading to the revolution of 1688, in which uh, Petracha becomes king of the Ayutthaya kingdom. 
Can't trust regents. 1768, rioting occurs in London after John Wilkes is imprisoned for writing an article for the North Britain severely criticizing King George III. 1773, the Parliament of Great Britain passes the Tea Act, designed to save the British East India Company by reducing taxes on its tea and granting it the right to sell tea directly to North America. This led directly to the Boston Tea Party. 1774, Louis XVI, Marie Antoinette become king and queen of France. 1775, American Revolutionary War. Small colonial militia led by Ethan Allen, held before he opened his furniture store, and Colonel Benedict Arnold capture Fort Ticonderoga. Also on this date in 1775, Second Continental Congress takes place in Philadelphia. 1796, War of the First Coalition. Napoleon wins a victory against Austrian forces at Lodi Bridge over the Otter River in Italy. Austrians lose about 2,000 men. 1801, First Barbary War. Barbary pilots of Tripoli declare war on the U.S. 1824, the National Gallery in London opens to the public. 1833, a revolt broke out in southern Vietnam against Emperor Ma Mang, who had desecrated the, the, the deceased Mandarin, Lee Van Duyet. 1837, Panic of 1837, New York City banks suspend the payment of specie, triggering a national banking crisis and an economic depression whose severity was not surpassed until the Great Depression. 1849, Astor Place Riot. Riot Blake sat at the Astor Opera House in Manhattan. Over a dispute between actors Edwin Forrest and William Charles McCready, 22 people were killed and over 120 were injured. 1857, Indian Rebellion of 1857. In India, the first war of independence began, so the sepoys mutiny against her commanding officers at Meerut. 1865, American Civil War. In Kentucky, Union soldiers ambush and mortally wound Confederate raider William Quantrell, who Lingers until he dies, June 6th. Contrail was kind of a guy in business for himself. He was called a Confederate raider, but he just preyed on everybody. 1869, first trans... He was a teacher, by the way. 1869, first transcontinental railroad linking the eastern and western U.S. is completed in Promontory Summit, Utah Territory, with the driving of the Golden Spike. Of course, it would have, today would have been immediately stolen before they could even finish raising the hammer. 1872, Victoria Woodhall becomes the first woman nominated for President of the United States. 1876, the Continental Expositions opened in Philadelphia. 1881, Carol I is crowned the King of the Romanian Kingdom. 1899, finished farm worker, Carl. Emil Malmelin killed seven with an axe at the Simone Croft in the village of Klokawa. 1904, the horse and Zerker Moto Wagon Work AG is founded. Eventually, it will become the Audi Company. In 1908, Mother's Day is observed for the first time in the U.S. in Grafton, West Virginia. 1916, sailing in the lifeboat, James Caird, 
Ernest Shackleton arrives in South Georgia after a journey of 800 nautical miles from Elephant Island. 1922. U.S. annexes the Kingman Reef. 1924. J. Edgar Hoover is appointed first director of the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation and remains so until he dies in 1972. 1933, in Germany, the Nazis stage a massive public book burning. 1940, German fighters accidentally bombed the German city of Freiburg. Also in the state, 1940, Winston Churchill was appointed Prime Minister of the UK following the resignation of Neville Chamberlain. On that same day, Germany invades France, the Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg. Meanwhile, the United Kingdom occupies Iceland. They got a cold reception, I might add. 1941, the House of Commons in London is damaged by the Luftwaffe on an air raid. Also in the state, 1941, Rudolf Hess parachutes into Scotland trying to negotiate a peace deal between the UK and Nazi Germany. 1942, the Fayap Army invades the Shan states during the Burma campaign. The Fayap Army was the Thai Fayap Army. 1946, first successful launch of an American V-2 rocket at the White Sands Proving Ground. Uh, courtesy of Werner von Braun, the non-Nazi. 1961, Air France Flight 406 destroyed by a bomb over the Sahara. 78 people are killed. Uh, 1962, Marvel Comics publishes the first issue of The Incredible Hulk. 1967, an Northrop M2F2 crashes on landing, becoming the inspiration for the novel Cyborg and the TV series The Six Million Dollar Man. 1969, Vietnam War. Battle of Dong Ap Bai begins with an assault on here 937. It ultimately becomes known as Hamburger Hill. 1975, Sony introduces the Betamax video cassette recorder. This day in 1993, in Thailand, a fire at the Kadler Toy Factory kills over 200 workers. 1994, Nelson Mandela is inaugurated in South Africa uh, as its first black president. 1996, a blizzard strikes Mount Everest, kills eight climbers overnight. 1997, the 7.3 uh, Quayan earthquake strikes Iran's Khorasan Khorasan province, killing 1,567. 2002, FBI agent Robert Hansen is sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for selling U.S. secrets to Russia for $1.4 million in cash and diamonds. 2005, a hand grenade thrown by Vladimir Arionin lands about 20 meters from President George W. Bush while he's giving a speech to a crowd in Tbilisi, Georgia. But the hand grenade malfunctions and doesn't explode. 2012, the Damascus bombings are carried out using a pair of car bombs detonated by suicide bombers outside a military intelligence complex in Damascus, Syria. 55 people are killed. 2013, One World Trade Center becomes the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. 2017, Syrian Civil War. Syrian Democratic Forces capture the 
Last Footholes of the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant at uh, Al-Tabqa, bringing the Battle of uh, Tabqa to an end. 2022, Queen Elizabeth II misses the state opening of Parliament for the first time in 59 years. It's the first time that a new session of Parliament was opened jointly by the Prince of Wales and the Duke of Cambridge acting as Councillors of State. Well, as was once said to me by a general, all things come to an end sooner or later. All right. You know, the um, we've been talking about UFO encounters in the um, 1800s. And today we're going to talk about the fact that there have been UFO encounters even further back than that. Which calls into question the assumption, the automatic assumption, that any of these aerial machines have to be aliens. Now the, the question of UFOs is usually seen as a relatively modern affair. Most people assume that the flying saucers and cigar-shaped objects and lights in the sky have only been buzzing the population of the Earth uh, within the last, what, 100 years? The history of unidentified flying phenomena is a long one. Now, over time, majority of people who study UFOs and their behavior tend toward believing their extraterrestrial origin and their physical manifestations, some form of alien contact. And though it's very peculiar, they only seem to be paying attention to us and us to them just when we've reached the age of technology where we can fly through space ourselves. You know, after World War II, the UFO phenomenon really started to to come into its own. More and more reports coming in of strange objects in the sky. Sometimes these objects would perform acrobatics and show off their disregard for the laws of physics. Other times they would hover around nuclear power plants and military weapons test sites. Environmental disasters. So it appeared, in fact, we've had them shut down, nuclear missiles, um, remotely. Now, if you dig through historical records, I mean, religious writings and epic poems and ancient chronicles and recordings of folklore, the product of researchers, who published a myriad of books, you'll see that many things that have happened in history can have more than one interpretation. The problem with this research, though, is it's somewhat dubious in nature. Trying to establish what's true and not true in the literature can be 
complicating enough without the need to interpret somebody else's interpretation of something somebody told them they saw. Now, many of the accounts, uh, historical accounts especially, were written well after the event that they're talking about. They were passed along verbally, and each storyteller added its own uh, embellishments. Other times, historical record would have been deliberately embellished. Signs in the sky such as meteors were seen as messages from God. And often written into the record is supporting whoever was in power at the time. And this divine approval has witnessed all manner of uh, events, military victories, royal weddings, deaths of an enemy. Many of history's most um, significant moments. You have to wonder why the god or the gods or the the goddesses don't appear among us anymore. There's plenty of modern politicians seem to think that uh, God's in their hip pocket. I can think of one or two presidents who believe that everything they do is blessed by God. If you look at these accounts with some objective scrutiny, some are easy to disregard as dramatizations and Many of them appear to be significant uh, weather events. Others could well be um, descriptions of a meteorite or a comet passing overhead in the night sky. But there are some, no matter how you try to distance yourself from them, appear to be inexplicable in nature. These accounts are harder to explain away as simple misidentification of natural events. During the 60s and 70s, the UFO debate heated up and became mainstream overnight. And let's not forget the Roswell crash of 47. I used to speak at the Roswell event until I became uh, politically unacceptable when the dilettantes took over. Some of the You know, UFO research went into many different areas in the 80s and up into the 90s. And some of this spread into the other uh, genres where it dealt with ancient visit, uh, visitations and included such factors that ancient astronauts coming to Earth to start a new race using humanity. Um, let's not forget quote from the Old Testament about the sons of God came unto the daughters of men and they thought they were fair and took them to wife. Well, if they can have children, then that means that the aliens or the the sons of God have a genetic connection to the human race. Well, it's not my intention to take one position or another. I'm just going to discuss ancient um, sightings, contacts, abductions. And there's other evidence that there's a whole lot more going on than we have any idea about. 
in Neon, in southern France. There are cave paintings that are estimated to be 11 to 17,000 years old. And some of them very clearly depict a UFO among the many scenes of ancient bison. And these dish-shaped depictions are clearly outlined, and one of them appears to be a leaving a distinctive trail of dots in its wake, like the contrails that uh, you see behind airplanes. There are other cave paintings around the world that also fall under these uh, mysterious circumstances. They can be found out in Mira, Spain, or in the Utah in the U.S. There have been some excellent examples in Australia by the Aboriginal people, making strange oval designs at least, a worldwide phenomena, which makes you wonder about that. Another area of ancient UFO research centers around the oldest religion on the planet, Hinduism. That particular religion has a couple of great epics, the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. And in both of them, there's extensive reference to flying machines known as Vimanas. They were called the chariots of the gods. Often these Vimanas will be described as massive military machines able to strike and cause death anywhere in the world. Others are described as small single-seat aircraft, which would... Now, some research has even pointed out the kidnapping of King uh, Duryodhana and the Maharabha is, is a textbook uh, example of a modern UFO abduction case. In this particular account, a demonic female entity is said to abduct the king, and she does so. Transports him by mystical travel, takes him uh, to the netherworld, and hands him over to the Danavas, a race of people derived from the goddess Danu, who is heavily linked to the uh, primordial waters are what the scientists call the cradle of earth-based life. Now, if you look at this account, on the one hand, you can explain it away as a fantasy storytelling. But when we tie it with modern encounters with UFOs, that may not be the case. The mystical travel implies he may be moving uh, or being carried off to another level. And the fact he's told he's part of a bigger plan, he's been created by them for bigger things, is a that's that's a integral part of the abduction scenario that's often recounted in the abductee recollections. Often people recall how they've been warned about the future destruction of mankind or some such uh, future event or what they were or that they were created by their abductors. And last but not least, just before he leaves, the Danavas tell king, the king he'll, they'll use mind control to help him win his next battle. This does imply that they have telepathic ability. And this telepathic contact is one of the most common recollections that uh, among witnesses to UFO incidents or abduction scenarios. And one thing that should be noted is the fact that many Hindu scholars don't believe that the stories of Imanas and such should be taken wholly on their face. They should be interpreted for some sort of philosophical meaning. At the same time, it's hard to overlook ancient discussions of very modern uh, aspects of flying. With human history filled with records of strange goings-on and strange occurrences, it becomes hard to 
to see whether UFOs are a continuation of ancient folklore or whether ancient folklore is actually a record of ancient UFO contacts. In other words, what comes first, chicken or the egg? Let's look at the records from Melrose Abbey in 1165. An incident took place in Yorkshire, England, and according to that, um, the entry, many people in that year saw a black horse of a large size and was always hurrying toward the sea. It was followed by thunder and lightning and fearful noises with a destructive t uh, hail. Well, when looking at this recollection, it's hard to see anything but a particularly dark and heavy storm blowing through. The author just used more flamboyant language. Um, however, at the same time, I've heard many stories about uh, spectral horses. Then we've got another account from the, that same period that talks about a slightly more perplexing account. A star of wonderful magnitude and brightness suddenly appeared in the skies over Wales. While Aurelius was defending himself, it contained a beam. And towards the ray, a fiery globe in the likeness of a dragon was stretched out. From its mouth came two rays. The length of one beam was seen to stretch beyond the region of Wales, and the other, in truth, was seen to lie toward the Irish Sea, and it ended in seven lesser rays. Now, it'd be easy to dismiss the object as a comet, especially for somebody who saw the recent uh, reports of the recent meteor that came down over uh, the uh, Chelyabinsk region of Russia. The beam stretching out could be the tail as the atmosphere adds friction to the meteor's course, but... Some researchers believe the element of the dragon in that same accounts makes it perplexing, especially when one tries to work out what the seven lesser rays might be an explanation of. Now, the dragon is said to be a likeness, which in fact is a fiery globe. But at that point in time, very few people don't know what a dragon was. Let's not forget, uh, you know, St. George is supposed to fall a dragon. And the main focus to get from these accounts, though, is the fact that in medieval times, many didn't know what a dragon was on the account of never having seen one. And that meant that anything unknown that flew or came from the sky was shrouded in smoke or flame or made an incredible amount of noise could easily have been identified as a dragon. Today, we call these things unidentified flying objects. Now, I'm looking at all the records that I have access to. One of the earliest sightings came during the rage of Tutmosis III, and I talked about this the other day. Pharaoh was actually sharing uh, his throne with his mother, Hashepsut, and uh, she dominated him for quite some time. She was a female pharaoh. Well, when she died in 1497 B.C., Tutmosis III 
was the sole ruler of Egypt and would eventually become one of the most successful pharaohs. He created the largest empire Egypt had ever seen. He died in 1447 B.C. Now there's a document it was actually found in an antique shop. It's called the Thule Papyrus. During a visit to Cairo in 1933, the director of the Vatican Museum, the Egyptian section, Alberto Thule, found uh, this papyrus in uh, an antique shop. He decided the price was too high, so he made a copy of the text. And the copy he made was recopied, and the erratic script was replaced with a hieroglyphic one. Now, throughout the translated text, there are several gaps, which likely are due to holes in the original manuscript, or maybe certain parts were intentionally left out. Now, the transcription of the Thule manuscript has been translated by Boris D. Rashwiltz and several other uh, well-known individuals. And the contents of the, of the text re revolves around circles of fire. And these circles appear to not only have passed through the sky, but to have appeared over a period of a few days. Now, if you think lights in the sky are in the past are all meteors this this should be a wake up call and although controversy does exist over the credentials and quality of the translation Ratchwiltz uh, appears to have solid credentials and his name is well known in academic circles to this day Now, most Egyptian scholars agree the translation that's most widely known is an acceptable one, and that the transcribed text of the original Egyptian appears genuine, and none of this seems to be a hoax. And according to the translation, in the year 22, third month of winter, sixth hour of the day, the scribes of the House of Life found it was a circle of fire that was coming in the sky it had no head the breath of its mouth had a foul odor its body was one rod long it's about five or six meters about 16 or 17 feet one lar rod large had no voice their hearts became confused through it and then they laid themselves on their bellies they went to the king to report it his majesty ordered uh, and that part was missing. As to all which is written in the papyrus rolls of the House of Life, His Majesty was meditating on what had happened. Now after some days had passed over these things, they were more numerous than anything. They were shining in the sky more than the sun to the limits of the four supports of heaven. And powerful was the position of the fire circles. The army of the king looked on, His Majesty was in the midst of it, after supper at that point the fire circles went up higher 
toward the south. Fishes and volatiles fell down from the sky. It was a marvel never occurred since the foundation of this land. And it caused his majesty to be brought incense to pacify the, the hearth. And wrote what happened in the book of the house of life. To be remembered for all eternity. So basically, the Egyptian army was confronted by a number of fiery circles in the sky. Not just once, but several times. And if you look at the translation, it's easy to see the parallels with modern ufology. Now there's another translation by Cedric Leonard, who besides being an anthropologist, was also a UFO researcher and, and one of the proponents of Atlantis. He found a copy of the original manuscript that was published by de Rochers and translated it himself. Now, if you read both transcripts, the description being of an unidentified uh, flying object is without doubt. It certainly appears to be a sense of confusion, and they felt this bewilderment enough to write it down for future reference. You put this alongside the description of its distinctive smell, the Remember it said the breath of its mouth emitted a foul odor and it was silent, had no voice. You see the incredibly distinctive pattern of a modern UFO report. And in fact, these events happened over several days and the object appears to become more in number. The chance of it being a meteor is absolutely out of the question. Now the... The history of the Thule Paris was also um, something of a mystery. Rather than being an original, it was actually a translation of a transcription. The fact that nobody appears to know its location and it's only been reported by Ratchwitz makes the whole thing a little hinky, I guess you could say. There's no original document at this moment that can be analyzed for its authenticity. in spite of the fact it's been accepted by Egyptian scholars as valid, does raise questions. At the same time, I've seen a number of references to the Egyptian encounter. Now, The Bible is the world's most widely read recording of Christian history. So it should come as no surprise it's been seized on by UFO researchers for, in regard to its ancient accounts of humanity's contact with mysterious objects and mysterious entities. If you look through the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, you'll find numerous accounts of strange happenings in the skies. the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, just as Moses leads the children of Israel toward the promised land in Mount Sinai away from Egypt and slavery, the, um, these verses make it clear by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. 
Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, according to scholars, the book of Exodus was done around 14th century B.C. And this passage in, passage in particular is often cited by researchers as a plausible example of a biblical unidentified flying object account. If it had only taken place at night, it would be easy to discount as a star going supernova on one of the solar system's planets appearing particularly bright, especially as it appears to be relatively stationary in front of them. But if you throw in the factor that there had been numerous witness statements that attest to UFOs creating clouds around themselves or blowing smoke, in this passage would appear to apply to an ancient encounter with a UFO. One interesting theory to this account is that it was a description of a volcanic event, as when the Hebrew people arrived at Mount Sinai. They found it certainly to be in a state of activity, at least according to the uh, chapter 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning as well as a thick cloud on the mountain. The blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and smoke went up like the smoke of a kill. The whole mountain shook violently. So clearly something was happening on the top of the mountain. Now from the second book of Kings, you get the story about a possible UFO uh, abduction around the prophet Elijah and takes place in chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 this is as he and Elisha had crossed the river Jordan according to the verses as they walked along and talked together suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind Elisha saw it and cried out my father my father the chariots and the horsemen of Israel and Elisha saw him no more took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Now, at first glance, this is not just a UFO account, but as I said, it's also of a possible abduction. This was supposed to have taken place about 900 B.C., and it's certainly one for the annuals, and should also be read in context before assuming assumptions are made and egregious gaps are jumped. Mere moments before the first chapter, Elijah states that if he's a man of God, then fire should rain down on the company of 50 men sent to retrieve him from a hill. And this happens. And it does so on more than one occasion. So it can only be assumed from this encounter that was one in which Elijah and the UFO communicated. Now, there are many instances in which UFOs are reported to be demonic or spiritual in nature, so rather than write it off completely, let's keep an open mind. And then from the second Kings, let's go to the book of Ezekiel. There's a few intriguing instances that can certainly fall under the category of an acceptable ancient UFO report. Joseph Blumrich, a former senior NASA employee, addressed this um, at some length. In chapter 4, the book is, um, 
and verse 4. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was all about it, and out of the midst thereof is the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. And also out of the midst came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings. <coughs> well, just these few verses make it clear that we're talking about a UFO account. In the first instance, he hears a whirlwind of fire coming from the north. Not only that, but whatever's creating the whirlwind and the fire also seems to be occupied by people. And the four wings are particularly poignant. It reminds one of the rotors on a uh, drone or a helicopter. Then the account said they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they four had their faces and their wings. And their wings were joined one to another, and they turned out when they went. They went, everyone straight forward. Again, we're talking about the description of the wings being joined together. Sounds like that of a four-rotor helicopter. And it's possible the hands under their wings references regarded human hands controlling the wings like a pilot, perhaps. And they went everyone straight forward, whether the spirit was to go. They went, and they turned not when they went. This refers to the objects not having to, to face the direction in which they were traveling, as UFOs are often cylindrical and could be said that for any case, but it also applies to helicopters. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, there's another presentation of something that seems initially unexplainable. In verse 2, I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. If one appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire and from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. Verse 3, stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head and lifted me up between earth and heaven. Now this appears to be another description of a, uh, an abduction and notes that it states a figure like that of a man. Denoting that what is seen isn't human. And the glowing around the figures, you know, the um, aspect of a UFO encounter. In Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 9 through 21, we're again notified of the presence of the wheel craft. Now, I don't care how good an imagination the early writers may have had. What they were coming up with was far too advanced for semi-educated individual to put together. Verse 9 said, I looked and I saw inside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each of the cherubim, and the wheels sparkled like topaz. As for their appearance, the four of them looked alike. Each was like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they'd go in any one of the four directions the cherubim faced. The wheel didn't... Uh, Turn about as the cherubim went. The cherubim went in whatever direction they had faced without turning as they went. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, and their wings, are completely full of eyes, as were their four wheels. 
I heard the wheels being called the whirling wheels. Each cherubim had four faces. One face was that of a cherub, the second the face of a human being, the third the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an angel. Well, in these descriptions, and there's a lot more to it that I'm not going to bore you with, but here what again sounds like a helicopter taking off. What's even more interesting is the reference to the craft being called the whirling wheels. What's not mentioned in the verses is the ability to hover, which is referenced in the verse where it says, When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still, and when the cherubim rose, they rose with them. So, while the the writers put it down to the the acts of God, would that not be the reaction of any um, primitive to advanced technology? Look at the cargo cults in the Pacific during World War II. The cargo they took off the crashed planes, they immediately decided it came from God. Ezekiel 4, chapter 43, verses 1 through 3 is a less significant event. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. Now this quite clearly describes something coming from the east, creating a lot of noise and lighting up the land with its luminosity. Maybe a meteorite? Maybe a... Um, I've been on LZs where the helicopters came in to get us, and they had... Um, lights to illuminate the ground and they'd certainly made noise overall in the revelations that have come from UFO research in the Bible it's it's hard to put a finger on exactly what is being described now the events in Exodus could be explained away as a volcanic eruption and those in Ezekiel said by many religious scholars to be purely symbolism But I, I suggest you read for yourself and see what you get out of it. Now, one of the events that um, I've come across numerous times in research was Alexander the Great and his encounter with uh, what we call flying shields. Now, he was born in 356 B.C., the son of King Philip II of Macedon, uh, Macedon. Famous throughout most of the world due to his amassing a giant empire while he reigned over the Greek nation, spreading right through the Mediterranean as far as to the east as India. And it's through his exploits many concepts and ideas of the ancient Greeks are still prevalent throughout modern society. Now, in regards to Alexander and his possible interaction with UFOs, the first sighting said that would happen in 329 B.C. It came about when Alexander was attempting to invade India. While trying to maneuver his troops across the River Indus so he could engage with the Indian forces on the other side, he 
encountered resistance in an earthly form. In the sky, two silver shields appeared and began swooping down on the columns of troops, startling the horses and causing the men and the, the elephants to flee in fear. Now, Frank Edwards wrote it, some detail about that. And um, he supposedly got his information from an ancient chronicle written by somebody of Alexander's time, supposedly the, the historian for his army. Now, according to what Frank Edwards said, Alexander the Great wasn't the first to see him, or was he the first to find him troublesome? He talked about two strange craft that dived repeatedly at his army until the war elephants, the men, and the horses all panicked and refused to cross the river where the incident occurred. His historian describes them as great shining silvery shields splitting, uh, spitting fire around the rims. Things that came from the skies and returned to the skies. Well, the next encounter came from seven years later, 322 B.C. While attempting to conquer Persia, Alexander set his sights on the city of Tyr. He was having difficulty breaking the defenses of this fortified coastal city. Having reached a stalemate, Alexander's troops were surprised when suddenly above him a flying shield um, assembled in a triangular pattern and proceeded to attack the city with what could only be described as beam weapons. Striking the walls and the fortifications, it wasn't long before they crumbled, allowing Alexander's troops to enter the city and claim a victory. UFOs remained in place over the city until the victory was secured, and then they vanished. Well... You know, the, the support for this encounter is viewed by many as dubious in nature. Not only is it similar in nature to the first account I gave about the silver shields attacking the forces about to cross the river, but it's in the same relative time frame. Now, there's no historical record for this period. If you look at the specific ancient encounters, it's easy to see where all the distrust of paranormal and UFO science has come from. If the two events are true, it's amazing evidence of UFOs having an impact not only on a person, an army, a city, and a day, but an empire. It also have a huge impact on the future as furthering the Greek Empire had a massive cultural effect on the people of the Earth. Unfortunately, there's not sufficient evidence to say, yes, this happened, or no, this didn't happen. I should come with a little wonder that there'd be numerous reports of UFOs from the era of the, Ro of the Roman Empire. This vast empire ruled over large areas of Europe, North Africa, the Middle East for hundreds of years. Romans were not only the masters of war, they were also great proliferators of the written word. So there are numerous accounts of encounters that have been noted by some of the famed historical scholars of the period. People of such high regard telling the tales, you, you feel that there's probably a basis to them. Now whether they're UFO encounters or natural phenomena is for you to decide. Now this first account I'm going to give comes from the hand of Julius Subsequens who's believed to have lived in the 4th century A.D. 
believed to be a pagan Roman writer. Is there only one work associated to his name? The Book of Prodigies. A collection of accounts pertaining to wonders during the years 249 to 12 B.C. 249 A.D. to 12 B.C. In his first account, he describes things like ships were seen in the sky. This supposedly happened uh, during 216 B.C. It was then followed by further happenings of the strange ships in the sky over all Rome the next year. Another account by a sequence states that in the year 203 B.C., at Seti, a dazzling light like a torch was seen going east to west in the sky. According to the statement, it was also accompanied by another object, though it didn't appear to have been described in any great detail. Move forward in his writings to the year 100 B.C., we see another example of a shield in the sky. In regard to this one, um, in Tarquinia, toward sunset, a round object like a globe, a round circular shield, took its path in the sky from west to east. Similar account to the one that I just gave happened in 91 B.C., according to the sequence. This time is more extreme in this example. At an area, Vivius uh, Trosus was promulgating the laws at the beginning of the Italian law, a war. At sunrise, there came a terrific noise in the sky, and a globe of fire appeared burning in the north. In the territory of Sparletum, a globe of fire, golden color, fell to the earth, gyrating. It was then seemed to increase in size, rose from the earth, and ascended to the sky, where it obscured the sun with its brilliance. Revolved toward the eastern quadrant of the sky. And in 42 BC, a sequence simply states something like a sort of weapon or missile rose with a great noise from the earth and soared into the sky. Well, if you pour over the details provided by a sequence, the first thing of note is the author was retelling the events of some four to six hundred years before his time. So, details, of course, were somewhat speculative at best. But that doesn't mean you write them off. The second is that the two encounters are, or accounts from uh, 100 B.C. and 91 B.C. have a striking similarity to possible meteor encounters. Well, of course, they could both be a UFO um, Reports and possibly UFO crashes. When an unidentified flying object crosses the sky from west to east, it can easily be described as a globe or round object. You know, ships in the sky seem to be a fairly bland, ex bland expression, and it's difficult to draw detail from it, but the locals believe the sky ships had intelligent control, that there was possibly beings navigating them. I mean, why else would you call it a ship rather than a globe, a spear, or a shield? And then if you go to the 42 B.C. A report, you can only wonder exactly what's going on. Something like a sort of weapon or missile rose with a great noise from the earth and soared into the sky? Well, maybe we're talking about... an interstellar war. And that missile was a protective weapon.
Well, Titus Livius, also known as Livy, was the source of a lot of Asequus's work and is believed to have been the original chronicle of the 214 B.C. ships in the sky encounter. He described them as phantom ships and they were seen gleaming in the sky. He also reported they were over numerous districts. He also described an encounter in 213 B.C. in the Gulf of Venice that involved what looked like an altar appearing in the sky, surrounded by a strange spectacle of men in white clothing. Well, on that particular note, we go to the end of the day show. We'll be talking more tomorrow about strange encounters in history. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. <laughs>